0: We are taking a break from our series on First Peter uh, for the Christmas season. Uh, we started, we took a break last week because we had a missionary coming through. It was great to hear Mark uh, and his family and their, their testimony of their missionary work in China. That was just a, a wonderful opportunity. I hope you're excited as a church to continue to support them and what they're doing. Uh, keep them in your prayers. But we're calling this Series, mini-series, I guess. It's really only going to be about three or four weeks. Come behold the wondrous mystery. We started singing that song. It's just a beautiful song about God coming to live among us, taking on flesh in Jesus Christ, living the perfect, sinless life, dying in our place, taking our punishment, rising from the grave, promising eternal life to all who believe. Come behold the wondrous mystery. It's almost a cliche, and yet we still need to hear it over and over and over again. Let us not forget the true meaning of Christmas. This, right there, that's what it's all about. Today, we're going to look at a statement from John chapter 1. So if you would, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 1 through 14. And we're really just focusing in on one particular phrase. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, where Jesus is called the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. Do you feel like the world's a little dark? Turn on the news, scan the headlines. Listen to some friends going through tough times. The world is a dark place. And I think some people in particular struggle with this around the holidays. A time that should be full of joy and life, and yet some people feel their loneliness even more keenly during a time like this. It doesn't help that a few weeks ago we changed our clocks. I feel like we're just clearing the lunch table and it's getting dark outside. Like, what is wrong with that? And you just feel that darkness. Last week, my brother and his family were in town and we went to the Eastman Museum. I'd never been there before. It was really neat. And there's, there's one particular room in the museum that just struck me. It's the Camera Obscura room. I hope, I think I'm saying that right. Anybody ever been there? It's basically a really dark room, right? So there's these pitch black curtains and there's no lights on in the room. And the idea is you go in there and I, I didn't get a good look at it, but I assume there's like a hole somewhere in the wall, like a little pinhole. The idea is a Camera Obscura hole, obscura is a pinhole that allows light to come through. The light comes through and if you get something just the right distance from the hole the the image appears upside down of whatever's outside now we were there late in the afternoon and it was a gray and overcast sky so i went in the room as everybody else did that was there and you go in and you looked around and went well this is weird (laughs) it's just a dark room i mean there was really nothing to see and and so i went you know i should have done this first but I'm a guy, so I did this. I I went in first and tried to figure it out myself and then read the instructions. So I did go back and read the instructions and I went, oh, there's supposed to be a picture on the wall. Okay, and it says, you know, wait a while. You need to let your eyes adjust. So I did. And sure enough, as I looked at the one wall, this very hazy, very faint, subtle outline of trees upside down Appeared. And that was it. That, I mean, you could barely make out just the slight difference between sky and trees. And I looked outside, and I thought, oh, I think maybe that's what I'm seeing. I'm not really sure. But it was interesting how I had to wait. I had to let my eyes adjust. And, of course, people came in, and they did just what I did at first. And they're just looking around going, well, this is kind of silly. And I, I'll admit I felt kind of proud that I figured it out. <laughs> read the instructions, right? And so I I tried to show some people, but of course, unless you waited, you know, you couldn't see it. So I thought that was fascinating. And then I went out to see my family who was out in the next room. I had like gone off on my own. I guess I tend to do that. And uh, so I go out and, and you walk out into the room and it's just normal, bright lit room. And, you know, it was interesting what I couldn't see in the other room because I had to wait for my eyes to adjust. Now I walk out and it hurts. I had to squint. And as I was preparing for this sermon today, I just thought, isn't that so true of life? Our eyes adjust to darkness. We get used to it. Oh, we might want to complain about it. We might want to point fingers at it. But we also need to come to grips with the fact that whether we realize it or not, we tend to adjust and kind of get used to it as the new normal. And then when light comes, it's not a welcome experience. It's not always pleasant. It's harsh. We want to squint. We want to turn away from light. And so today, as we look at these first few verses of the Gospel of John, we need to keep all this in mind as we look at the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. It sounds so wonderful and beautiful like a pretty Christmas tree. But I think we also need to understand it's like being in a pitch black world and having a shining light come right into our face and understanding that that experience is usually not pleasant at first let's read first or I'm sorry John chapter 1 verses 1 through 14 i'll read you can follow along in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was with god in the beginning And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the Christmas story in the Gospel of John. We don't really think about it as that. I mean, where are the shepherds? Where are the angels? Where's Mary? Where's the, the manger? Where's, you know, the wise men coming in? But this is John's version of the Christmas story. Because he's tying Jesus' coming all the way back into Genesis and saying, remember when God created the earth? Remember when God created the heavens and the earth? In the beginning was God. And he comes to this passage and he's looking and thinking about Jesus Christ coming to live among us. And he's saying, that God who created all things, he has come. And that changes everything. And if we're going to understand what it means, or begin to really appreciate what it means that Jesus is the light of the world, we need to understand just how dark the world is. So we need to start in the dark. Verse 5 says, the light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Or some translations have understood it. The point really is that there is a tension between light and dark. They don't get along. Darkness does not want the light. It doesn't like the light. Light overcomes the darkness, dispels the darkness so that it has to flee. I'm not sure that we truly understand darkness like they did in Jesus' time and, and throughout Scripture, I mean, we're surrounded by light. I've got six lights on me right now. We've got some cool stage lights back here. We have lights everywhere, right? With a flick of a switch, I can change any room in this building from pitch black to almost daylight. Just like that. I can do the same in my house. In fact, I have a room in my house. I can just say something and the lights come on. Some of you take it a step further and you just clap twice and boom, lights come on. I mean, it's high tech stuff today. I don't think we have to struggle with darkness as they used to. We've got buttons on our cars that we push it and boom, the road in front of us is lit up. In fact, again, most cars today just do it automatically. Teaching my daughter how to drive and I'm telling her how to turn on the headlights. And I'm thinking she probably never need to do this. It just does it. Till you get that one car that doesn't. And then you're going, what do I do? But you know in their day, I mean they had, you know, fires, obviously, they had torches, and they had little lamps. When they talk about a lamp or a lantern or something, I mean it was it was almost like walking around with a candle. Now granted a candle puts out a decent bit of light, but it's not gonna light up a whole room. So, when they talk about the dark, when the darkness came at nighttime, they felt it. They sensed it. It was all around them. There was a barrier through which they could no longer see. Their light could only reach so far. And then that was it. And they lived in that situation over and over again. Psalm 130, verses 5 through 6, always comes to my mind when I think about the experience of darkness. David is writing and he says, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. Now he's making a a beautiful picture of, of waiting on God and longing for him, but it also tells us something about what darkness was like to them. Imagine being a watchman on the wall of the city. And maybe you even know there's an army out there coming against us. You can only see what? 20 yards or so, maybe a little further beyond the walls of the city and your job is to watch for raiders or or bandits or a foreign army to come in. You've got to warn the city but you can't see. And I just wonder if every night in those tense situations they sat there just squinting Trying to see a little bit farther, waiting for the light to come, the the sky to brighten up just a little bit so they could see a little bit farther and a little bit farther. And David's saying, that's how I long for the Lord. So when they talk about the darkness of the world, that's the kind of darkness they're talking about. Not just a little bit of darkness. Darkness. Not just needing a slightly brighter LED bulb. They're talking about darkness that you cannot pierce. You cannot see through. Darkness does something to us. As I said in that that room in the Eastman house, God has created us with wonderful ability for our eyes to adjust to light and dark. It's amazing, really, to see how our pupils can get bigger and smaller and, and we can adjust to things. But I think sometimes it's sad that in our own life we can get used to the darkness of our world. We find ways to just get by, to just kind of deal with it. You know, when I was a kid, I think I've shared this before, I was terrified of the dark. I mean, absolutely terrified of the dark. Probably up until I was in junior high. Just, I don't know what it was, I was terrified. I had... Next to my bed, a light that was mounted on the wall and a little arm that came out and a light bulb and then a little round shade. Nothing fancy, but it was like my reading light. I, as a kid, wanted to keep that light on as long as humanly possible before I would get in trouble and had to turn it off. So that was my goal. How can I keep this light on as long as possible? Now, the way this lampshade connected to the the lamp is that the the shade had that little clip that went on the light bulb. You know what I'm talking about? So it clipped onto the light bulb. So what I found out was that I could unscrew the light bulb to the point where the slightest touch would turn it off. Looking back, this is totally a fire hazard, okay? (laughs) Realize that now. So what I would do is is this allowed me to reach up quickly, just touch the lampshade in one direction, and my light would go off. So if my parents saw that my light was on and they started to open the door, I could turn off the light before they noticed. That was my thinking. I was a bad child, okay? Wait, it gets worse. The problem was I wasn't fast enough, right? So I devised the system, (laughs) I ran dental floss from that lampshade across my bedroom. I don't remember what I used as a pulley, but somehow it went down to the doorknob, and I even hooked it up so that if you turn the doorknob either direction, it turned my lampshade and shut off my light. I was a strange child. (laughs) What was that? This explains a lot, right? It's true. Someday ask me about the wiring for the thermostats in this building. It is far less of a fire hazard. Let me just say that. I, I will tell you, that silly contraption saved me from getting in trouble numerous times. Until one day, one morning, my mom came in before I got up and took it down. And she went, what in the world is this? I'm like, Nothing that was the end of that here's my point what was I doing was I doing the right thing no I was being a naughty child I was managing the darkness I was rearranging my life around the darkness I wasn't really seeking to do the right thing you laugh at my efforts and I do too now How many of us put so much work into our lives simply managing darkness? Shuffling around the shadows. Friends, we can't make our lives or this world any better by simply rearranging and reorganizing the darkness. We need light. Jesus is the light of the world. John says about Jesus in chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. It's such a beautiful picture. But in eyes that have grown accustomed to dark and lives that have busied ourselves with reorganizing darkness, light shining into that is not usually a welcome thing. Let's look at the light. This light that was coming was prophesied long time ago in the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, on those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned. And another gospel writer, Matthew applies this to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4:16. He quotes that very passage and says Jesus is the fulfillment, the light that was promised that has come. And of course John is saying the same thing. God said that he would send light into this world. And we live, whether we recognize it or not, we live like the watchmen on the city. We live like those soldiers longing for light to come, wanting to see a little bit further, and yet we also live like the people that when the light comes, we want to squint and turn away because it didn't meet our expectations. The true light has come you would think that everyone would rejoice about the true light. You would think the world would just be overwhelmed with gratitude for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'd think churches would be full and just overflowing. You would think that we would want to just grasp onto that light, reorganize and realign our lives with that light, give everything to that light, and yet we struggle. If I went around right now and said, do you struggle with accepting the light and following the light? How many of us would have said, yeah, I do still. If we struggle, how much more so the world? And yet we get so mad at the world. The light has come, but the darkness doesn't get it. You know, many people struggle to accept Jesus because they feel judged. You ever hear that one? Oh, the gospel it's so beautiful, it's so wonderful. Your, your Christmas, your, your stories, your sermons, your songs, it's all so wonderful. But I just, you're judgy. You're judging me and I don't want to feel judged. Isn't that the very nature of the light that when it shines, it shows just how dark the darkness is? You can't have one without the other. Now, I'm not saying we should go around and being judgmental, but we need to understand that without the understanding that we are sinners, There is no light of the gospel that says, and Jesus can save you from that. The light shines. Many people turn away from Jesus because he doesn't make them feel good. He doesn't make everything right in their lives. He doesn't make all the problems go away. Oh, the light can light the way. But it also lights the many other ways that we have tried and shows us just how wrong they were and all the dead ends that we didn't even know were there. Sometimes the light is harsh. We need to understand that Jesus being the light of the world is not him just shining enough light so that we can figure out the rest of it on our own. It's about coming to the grips with, to the fact that what we thought was light in our own life, what we thought we had already figured out is actually what the Bible is calling darkness. Lost. stumbling tripping up over our own feet and our own plants. And that Jesus is the only true light of the world. Throughout Scripture, this concept of light is used to show God's presence. It's not just God's illumination or, or showing us a way. It's God's presence, God with us. In 2 Samuel 22, verse 29, David says, You, Lord, are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light David's not just saying that God brings light to his darkness but that God's presence is what makes everything make more sense God's presence is what lights the way we don't just need some answers from God to make sense of our world we need God it's much easier to get answers and say oh I got this thanks for an answer now I'll go figure it out we like that because we stay in control it's much harder to say, God, we need you, all of you, even the bits and pieces we don't like and we don't want to accept. But We need all of you because all of us is darkness. We need the light of the world. And of course, Psalm 119, one of the famous verses, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. The word of God, the very communication from God to us is what illuminates our way in this light, life. In John 1, John is clearly saying, Jesus is God. Make no mistake, there is absolutely no way around this truth in Scripture, particularly in this passage, Jesus is God. That's why he can be the light of the world. He is the light because he is God. He is the light because he is the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan, the ultimate communication of who God is. And in case there was any doubt, later on in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus applies this to himself and he says, I am the light of the world. So some people say, well, Jesus never really said that about himself. No, he did. He takes that title, that claim, which clearly was understood as being equal to God, and applies it to himself. Friends, the baby born in the manger is not just a nice, warm, fuzzy light for the world. He is the only light the world. Everything else, no matter how bright we think it is, is darkness compared to the life and the light of Jesus Christ. We must not be surprised when the world squints and turns away. We must not be surprised when we do the same. And we must not fall on, well, I don't like this. It doesn't make me feel good. Therefore, I don't think God is good. No, the light is good. What it shows may be unpleasant. But God is good. This Christmas, I pray that we would let the light of Jesus shine into our lives. Every crook, every cranny, every darkened corner and closet to say, God, we want your light. We're tired of stumbling around on our own. But there's one final thing as we talk about light. It's in the nature of light when it shines upon something to reflect off of it. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I dabble, I dabble. I enjoy reading about space. And space exploration, spaceships, rockets, I'm a total nerd. I just enjoy those things. And it's interesting, when you think about space, right, you think black. It's very dark. That's true for most of space. But what we see outside, the, the light that's hitting the earth right now, that light has traveled from the sun, which means the truth is the space between the earth and the sun is flooded with light. It's completely filled with light. So why does space look so dark? Because you don't see it until it touches something. This world needs to see the light of Jesus Christ. And they're going to see that light when it touches something. When it touches you. And when it touches me. And when Christians stand up and say, I will give my life to the light of Jesus Christ. I will trust him as the way, the truth, and the life. The only way and I will live that light. And that means that we will shine that light into this dark world. Now again, I'm hoping you're sitting there thinking, Amen, that's what I want. But a word of caution. Look at how they received, or rather, didn't receive Jesus. They didn't get it. They misunderstood Him. They misinterpreted Him. Because when the light started to shine, they didn't like it. Guess what happens when we start shining the light of Jesus in our lives? It's a struggle. Now, what do we do? Do we change the light? Do we reinterpret it and change the message and take out all the bad parts that people don't like? No. We keep shining the light. Because that light is the life of the world. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, let your good deeds shine out for all to see that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This world desperately needs light. And we can complain about how dark the world is, how dark media is, how dark our culture is, how dark our country is. But let's stop the complaining and say, I have been called as a follower of Jesus Christ to shine the light of the world into that darkness. Will we stop complaining and start living the mission to which Jesus has called us? That's why we're here. John says, Chapter 1, verse 14, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The very light of the glory of God has shone forth into our world through Jesus Christ. And not just a picture or a display, but a Savior, who doesn't just point out the problem, but came to do something about it. To be born, to die, to rise from the grave. We need to live lives that display this glory for the world to see. Are you tired of the darkness in this world? Are you worn out by darkness in your own life? Maybe some of you are thinking today, I'm just tired. I'm trying so hard to do this on my own. To figure it all out on my own. I can't do it anymore. I want you to ask yourself, are you just trying to organize the darkness? And if the answer is yes, Are you ready for the light of Christ to break through? I challenge you this Christmas season. Come behold the wondrous mystery of the light of the world, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need your light. And yet, if we're honest with ourselves... We cling to and love our own darkness. And that right there is the tension of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That which we most desperately need is often the thing that we want to so completely reject. Because the darkness doesn't really have to realize how dark it is until the light Shines into it. And so I pray, Father, today, if there's anyone here resisting your light, turning away from Jesus Christ, your Son, the light of the world, busying themselves with reorganizing their darkness, may your light cut through today. May this Christmas be the first Christmas that they can say, that's my Jesus. That's my Savior. That's my light. And Father, I pray as Christians living in this dark world, I pray that we would be known more for reflecting your glory than complaining about the darkness. You've given us a mission as missionaries in every situation of our lives. May we take that seriously. May we understand we're in this together to encourage one another, to challenge one another, to join together in local churches together to bring light to this world. And may we, as we seek to do that, hold on tight to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth of your word. Because without those things, there is no light. There's just more of our own darkness. God, this Christmas... May the light of Jesus Christ shine in our lives and in this world. In his name we pray. Amen.